Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. Why, thank you. It is good to be back. Thank you for allowing me to get some rest. Uh, the two weeks were good. I, I did that. Amy and I were able to do that. Uh, so thank you. Um, a few announcements here before we get started. Uh, December 5th, we're going to be having a members meeting. So for those of you who have gone through the hard work of going through the class, and you have not done that one last thing, and that is to fill out your testimony, I have created a testimony template for you. And all you have to do is fill in the blank here. It says, I was once blind. So you just described your life before you met Jesus, and then now you can see, and you just write a few sentences on that. That's all you have to do. So the testimony template is going to be up here for those of you who are interested in that. Secondly, uh, we had these crosses installed, and then uh, Dr. Dallas Bivens was here for two weeks. And I, I want to share with you, I, I, I shared many months ago why we do things the way that we do here at River Bible Church, all from a biblical perspective. This is one of them. Um, we used to have a, a beautiful and old wooden rugged cross, yes. right? And, it's, and it is still a beautiful cross. We're going to find a, another place for it here. Um, that, and that's what, that's what I wanted when I first got here, was an old, rugged wooden cross. And, and that symbolizes our sin being nailed to the cross, the, the price that Jesus paid, right? And now we live, if you haven't noticed, we live in a new world. Uh, things are very different. And not only is, is God allowing us to update some things here at the church physically, but this cross here, prayerfully, what it, what it shows you is the glory of Christ. He is now, he is now coming very soon. And the cross is glorious. Yes, our sin was nailed to the cross. Jesus took care of all that. But now we are expecting his return. And there's, there's um, uh, it's just glorious. So that's the reason that we replace the old rugged cross with the three new ones. So not only do we have the crosses in here, they're in the foyer. And it's the same three crosses that overlook the entire valley. So that's, that's why we did what we did. All right, so I wanted to share that with you. Also, um, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper after the sermon, and then everyone is invited for our Thanksgiving feast, which is uh, right after the, the, uh, the service. All right, so I, I pray that you guys can stay and uh, join us for some fellowship after that. All right, if you would, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue our study here in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at verses 66 through 72 today. 
If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. And that is our gift to you. We want to make sure that, that you have a Bible uh, and take that home. We want to make sure that the Word of God is in your hands. So as you turn there, let me review, and I know this is a longer review because Dallas was here for, for the past two weeks, but before my preaching break, what we did is we began the studying the trials of Jesus Christ, and we looked at how the trials of Jesus were anything but legitimate, uh, which of course was pretty shocking because we discussed how the Jews had a perfect justice system. Uh, they had a, uh, you know, their jurisprudence came from God. And, and it's summarized here in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Let me show this to you. God says, I want you to appoint judges and officials for your tribes in all of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you. They are to judge the people with righteous judgment. Do not deny justice. Don't show partiality to anyone. Do not accept a bribe, for it blinds the eyes of the wise, and it twists the words of the righteous. So pursue justice, and justice alone, so that you will live and possess the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So we, we also considered three things that must take place for an honorable and upright trial as well. Number one, it had to be a public trial. No private trials, no secrets, no bribes. Um, everything is supposed to be brought out into the open. Number two, there was the right of defense. The defendant has a right to an attorney, right? If you can't afford an attorney, one's going to be appointed for you. So the, the defendant had to have an attorney. And number three, there had to be evidence. And with a, with a, um, a murder trial, prayerfully, it had to be more than one uh, more than one witness. Jesus, by the way, had none of those. He didn't have any of those during his trials. And then lastly, we, we touched on Peter. And there was one verse on Peter that, that we really are going to expound on today. If we, we look at, at verse 54 here, uh, Peter followed Jesus at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard, and he was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. So that passage really leads us to one of the most infamous narratives in the Gospels. The uh, topic for today is, is Peter's denial of Jesus himself. This narrative is in every Gospel. So we're going to be pulling from every Gospel to, to share the whole story here. And really, I want to be begin with one thought. Peter's denial of Jesus, it started long before this night at the home of the high priest. Because one of Peter's biggest problems is his big mouth. Right? He talks way too much. The man's ego is completely out of control. So let's look in the rearview mirror just a few hours prior to where, before we get to this story and this narrative. Because Jesus is trying to teach Peter, a lesson here. But the question is, is Peter teachable? Well, let's take a look in verse 27. Jesus said, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And, and Peter steps in and he says, look, Jesus, if everyone else, all these, all these guys, they're subpar, right? 
but I'm your guy. I will never fall away. I'm your man. Now think about that. Peter is telling Jesus he's wrong. It's a good thing you and I don't do that. Verse 30, Jesus says, now, Peter, listen to me. Truly, I tell you, today, this very night, in just a few hours, before the rooster crows twice, man, you are going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. But Pete, he kept insisting, if I've got to die with you, Jesus, I'm your guy. Me, I'm going to die with you. I will never deny you. And then the rest of the apostles, they all said the same thing. So we fast forward from that conversation to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asked Peter to pray. What's Peter do? He falls asleep. He chooses to sleep through prayer time. It's a good thing you and I don't do that. (laughs) Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not stay awake for one hour? Now, why would Peter need to pray? I mean, after all, he's the man. He's the leader of the 12 disciples. He's one of those guys that's kind of the legend in his own mind. He's got this whole situation all worked out. It's under his control until he doesn't. And we know he doesn't because all we have to do is fast forward to Jesus' arrest 10 verses later. Judas shows up with a small army, and because Peter, number one, he's got this Superman complex, and number two, because he did not pray, what's he do in a situation that he utterly is unprepared for? What's he do? Verse 47, one of those who stood by, that's Peter, he drew his sword, he struck the high priest's servant, and he cut off his ear. Peter turns into this rogue Jason Bourne kind of character. His his misdirected zeal nearly killed two people that night and the church, right? He almost got himself killed. He almost killed Jesus. They almost killed him. And if they would have killed Jesus that night, no church, no salvation, nobody's going to heaven. So Jesus' counsel to Peter came true. In verse 50, they all deserted him and they ran away. So key point number one this morning Peter talks too much, he listens very little, he refused to pray, he acted too fast, and he followed Jesus at a distance. Peter talked too much. And if you're talking too much, you're going to listen way too little. He refused to pray, acted too fast, he acted without thinking, and he followed Jesus at a distance. So in other words, Peter has a bad case of the normals, just like you and I. Peter represents all of us at one time or another in our lives. And today's scripture is really disturbing because of that reason. There is nothing more shocking than the betrayal of a friend and a good friend. But today's text is also a source of great encouragement. So how can it be both? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 14, verses 66 and following. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came 
And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and she said, you know, you also were with Jesus, that, that man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. And then he went out into the entryway and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man, he's, he's one of them. But again, he, he, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, well, you certainly are one of them. You're, you're a Galilean. And then he starts to curse and swear. And he says, I, I, don't, I don't know this man that you're talking about. And then, boom, immediately a, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, please keep me from the way of deceit and graciously give me your instruction. Father, we do pray for your instruction tonight or this morning. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, you would give us the privilege of applying your instruction to our lives tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 66. So while, while Peter was in the courtyard, one of the high priest maidservants came so last week we saw what happened with, with, with Jesus. He was going through the Jewish trials uh, with the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. Actually, not last week, I'm sorry, a couple weeks ago. In today's text, uh, we learned that while Jesus was going through his first two Jewish trials, Peter was also going through a trial of his own. And it was happening at the same time. So let's remember that Peter and Jesus, they're in the home of Annas which is the former high priest, and then Caiaphas, who is the current high priest, who just happens to be Annas' son-in-law. So you're thinking, well, wait, they, they lived together? Yes, they did. Sort of, kind of. Let, let me explain. Annas, the previous high priest, he ran, he's one of the most, he probably is the most powerful man in Israel. And he ran the temple like a mob. He, he's a mob boss. And it's all, it's all disguised in this veil of religion. So he's a very wealthy man, and he lives in a palace. So in the first century, it was common for families to share the same home. The difference here is that their homes did not face the street like ours, uh, most of ours do. Uh, their homes faced a courtyard. So when you, when you come up on Annas' home, you would see the back of the home. Um, the back of the house included a, a high wall or a fence. And then there would be a gate, and there would be a sidewalk that led through the house into this, this courtyard. From the courtyard, you would see the rest of the house. So the courtyard's the centerpiece of the house, and the house kind of surrounded the courtyard itself. Um, and it's from there, it's from the courtyard that you would be able to see all the different rooms and the different floors of what was going on inside the house. So it's likely that Annas had one section on one side of the courtyard and Caiaphas had the other. 
So back to verse 66. One of the high priest's maidservants came. So Mark, our gospel writer here, he, he introduces a maid into this narrative. This woman is not a ruler of the Jews. She has no status whatsoever. She has no power. She has no authority. Her job was simply to watch the gate. John tells us in his gospel that, that he knew the high priest, so the maid let John in, but not Peter. John had to go get permission to let Peter in. So verse 67, Peter gets in. When she, so when the maid saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and she said, you know, you, you also were with Jesus, that, that man from Nazareth. So we discussed a few weeks ago how Peter doesn't only follow Jesus at a distance. He wants to follow Jesus at a distance and be comfortable at the same time. It's a good thing you and I don't do that. So Peter's trying to get warm. He's, he's hanging out with everyone else. He's trying to blend into the crowd. He wants to keep a low profile. However, he doesn't realize that that same fire that's keeping him warm is the same fire that's lighting up his face. So this maid starts to stare at Peter. It's like she examines him. I mean, we can relate to this, right? You're out, you're out and about minding your own business and you see someone that you, you recognize and you just can't place them and, and prayerfully you're not staring or examining this person but this woman is she can't place him and then boom all of a sudden she does and she speaks directly to Peter in disgust she says you also were with Jesus that man from Nazareth she see Jesus is obviously the hot topic of conversation that night everybody's talking about Jesus and how Jesus put everyone flat on their back with two words. Remember, Jesus said, I am. The soldiers, obviously, talking about that kind of power. Uh, the soldiers probably also talking about the fight that Peter caused, along with the instantaneous healing of Malchus's ear. So Jesus is there, and the whole place is just electric. How does this maid recognize Peter, though? Well, there, there's no doubt that she's been at the temple all week long, just like everybody else. It is Passover. And it was probably at the temple where she saw Peter with Jesus as Jesus was teaching. So let's, let's see what Peter does here. Verse 60, 68. He's, he denied it. He says, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Sorry. Sorry. And then he, he went out the entryway and a rooster crowed. So that phrase, I don't know, I don't understand, boy, that's a loaded one, isn't it? Remember the, the feeding of the 5,000? They were completely astounded. So the disciples were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. And time and time again, Jesus is telling the, the disciples about his death, his burial, his resurrection. And time and time again, they did not understand this statement. And we see here that many times the disciples, they didn't understand Jesus. They misunderstood him. 
And Peter's denial of Jesus at this moment is the pinnacle of that misunderstanding. So as soon as Peter denied Jesus for this first time, he physically moves himself into a safer position away from this maid. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that this was around the same time that Jesus was escorted from the courtyard from Annas's part of the house over to Caiaphas. So he went from trial number one over to trial number two. So what we have here is not only the leader of the 12 disciples, not only failing Jesus, but now he's denying that he even knows him. It goes from bad to worse. I mean, think about it. Guys, this is the same Peter that walked on water. This is the same Peter who saw Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration. This is the same Peter that healed and cast out demons in Jesus' name. And this is the same Peter where Jesus told him, and it's on this rock. Peter, you're, you're my guy. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in other words, Peter's denial here at this moment, it is a total denial of Jesus. It's not up for discussion. So, so once again, Peter physically moves away from her. We see that here in, ver in verse 68. He went out to the entryway. So Peter says what he has to say, and then he walks back out the same way he came in. So in other words, Peter was caught way off guard. This maid totally surprised him. He, he didn't expect it. He didn't plan for it. That's key. He did not plan for it. And, and that brings us to key point number two. Character is demonstrated by what you're not prepared for. Character is demonstrated by what you're not prepared for. So in other words, your character is revealed by your spontaneous response to a surprise situation. Peter, you know, he may have been ready for the temple police to arrest him and throw him in the same room with Jesus to be a witness. But he was not ready for a maid to call him out. So I, I want to point out some deep symbolism and, and irony here because Peter is moving away from the fire. He's moving away from the light and he's now moving into the coldness, into the darkness. That scene is, is real ominous, isn't it? That's intriguing because it paints a dark, visible picture of a, a spiritual reality that's now going on. Because as Peter changes locations, he moves further and further and further away from Jesus. Just like he did an hour ago with Jesus' arrest. Verse 68, so he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. So this is the first time the rooster crows. You know, it's almost as if the rooster crowing was a warning shot from God. Do you think Peter even heard it? Do you think he heard that rooster crow? I, I don't think he did. And, and here's the reason. The, the text doesn't say if he heard it or not. But why doesn't Peter hear it? Because Peter is so hyper-focused on himself. He's got his head down. He's looking out for number one. And when you're concerned about yourself, you've got tunnel vision. 
You can't see anyone or, or anyone else because the world revolves around you. And it certainly is revolving around Peter at this point. You can't hear, you can't see what else is going around, uh, around you. So, some time goes by. Peter tries to regain his composure here. Now, he doesn't leave, and that's good. Peter is learning from his mistakes. He chooses not to abandon Jesus entirely as he did before. And you think, wow. I mean, think about that. He's learning from his mistakes. Once again, Pete represents all of us. Aren't we all somewhere in that walk with Jesus? Learning from our mistakes, not doing what we did before. Peter, right at this moment, he's, he's struggling between selfishness and righteousness. We've all been there. That was a really great place for an amen. Amen. All right. So Pete chooses to hide in what he thinks is a, a safer area by the doorway where it's dark and it's cold, but that's also where the maid works. So let's look at verse 69 here. When the maid servant saw him again, she began to tell those standing by, this man is one of them. You think, wow, this woman is a little bulldog, isn't she? Peter's retreat to safety here, that was short-lived. This time, it's like she raises her voice, and she wants everyone to know. This man is one of them. This, this man is, is the guy that we're talking about. This guy right here, guys, he's the enemy. Verse 70, but he denied it again. He denied it again. Mark shows us that this is Peter's second time to deny Jesus. Strike two, Peter. Strike two. Verse 70. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you know what? She's right. You certainly are one of them. You're a Galilean. That phrase there, after a little while, the gospel of, of Luke specifically says that this was about an hour later. So Peter's big mouth gave him away the first time. His mouth confirms that he is a liar. His accent condemns him. The Gospel of John tells us this. So Peter, it keeps getting worse for Peter. John chapter 18, verse 26, one of the high priest's servants. So this is a different person. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Yeah. Hey, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? Talk about awkward. You just tried to kill my cousin. Earlier, we said that Peter thinks he's got this whole situation under control. Until he doesn't. Well, he officially does not have control of anything at this moment. Peter is now scared. He's, he's acting like a cornered dog. And Peter loses it. His denials, they start to increase. And this is an extended denial. It's, it's like at this point, it hasn't even regis registered with Peter what he's saying. So let's pause. Have you been there? 
running your mouth, talking too much, not realizing the hole that you're digging? How is it at that moment that everybody else can see it for what it is? But you, you can't sit. You just zip, 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 and nope, you just keep running it. It's a horrible place to be. We've all been there. Secondly, notice the progression of sin here. Peter goes from a simple denial of Jesus to denying his discipleship of Jesus to now cursing the name of Jesus. Look at this. Verse 71, he starts to curse and he starts to swear. To curse, that means to call down an oath from God on yourself. To swear, it refers to making a promise in God's name. So he's really got himself in a bind right now. Because what do cornered, scared dogs eventually do? They lash out and bite, don't they? And that's what Peter does. Peter loses control of his emotions. And this is big because we're going to see this in great contrast to Jesus next week. Key point number three. We are to live our lives by biblical convictions, not fleshly emotions. We are to live our lives by biblical convictions, not fleshly emotions. And what Peter's anger does here, it escalates. And this time, Peter reacts. He's not responding. He's reacting, and he's angry. And he reacts more loudly, and he gets brash for everyone to hear. She got loud. You know what? I'm going to get louder. And his anger and his volume, they are supposed to send a signal to everyone. Leave me alone. You know, anger is an interesting emotion. It does that, doesn't it? Our anger is, if we get loud like that, it's supposed to tell people that are around that we're in control. And you're supposed to submit to our control or else. Does it work? It's, it, you know, it, it's at this moment, Peter doesn't even realize what he's saying. He's not even thinking he's angry. No one can clearly think when you're mad. He is simply scared. He is embarrassed. And here's the key. He is unprepared for this conversation. He's unprepared for this barrage of people who have no authority whatsoever asking him questions. So Peter starts to use crude language. I mean, after all, he's been a fisherman all of his life. He's a sailor. He knows how to cuss. Old habits, they die hard. But then he does more than that. He calls down a curse on his own head. Dang. Dang. Not a very wise thing to do. He's asking God, he's asking God at this moment to kill him if he's lying. He's saying, may God strike me dead, guys, if I know the man. He's telling God to perform an, a divine act of judgment if he's lying. It's like he's placing his hand on the Bible, raising his right hand. I'm telling you the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Uh, Peter, hello. You're lying. 
You're asking God to strike you dead right now. And it's, not, it's very possible in this text that this is not just a one-time thing, that he didn't just curse and swear one time, but he did it many times to get people off his back. So I want you to think this through with me. Months prior, Jesus asked the disciples, guys, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, he said, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Nope, nope, nope. Wait, wait. I changed my mind. I don't even know the man. Wow. Wow. It, it, it is amazing how it is possible that God can speak through Peter one moment, and a few months later, Peter denies the very God that he affirmed. Maybe a better question is, why are we still doing that today? Why are we still speaking out both sides of our mouth? Verse 72, and then immediately, circle that word immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. Unknown to Peter, because he's so caught up in trying to save his own skin, Jesus was being led out from Caiaphas' home back through the courtyard. And it's at this moment, Luke tells us in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, can you imagine that look from Jesus? At the, at the exact moment the rooster crows, Wow, you talk about a coincidence. Can you feel the weight and the embarrassment and the pain and the shame that Peter must have felt at that moment? In verse 72, Peter remembered. He remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him. Before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So what, what caused Peter to weep? Was it his lies? Was it his denials? Was it his cowardice? Was it all of the above? Look at the text. Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word. <laughs> Key point number four. It's only the word of God that convicts of sin and brings true repentance. It is only the word of God that convicts of sin and brings true repentance. This isn't about just saying, sorry, I'm not going to do that again. Sorry. No, no. Peter did not weep until he remembered what Jesus said. And guys, this event leveled Peter. Peter dropped off the map. He was out of the picture until, the, until after the crucifixion. And it's only Jesus that brings Peter back into the fold. You talk about he just headlong into depression. That's where Peter was. And, and, and Jesus brings Peter back into the fold. Why? So God can finish what God started through Peter. So how did Jesus bring Peter back? John 21, 17. So he, that's Jesus, asked Peter a third time. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved 
that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know, man, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said this. He said, feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, you're going to do this. You're going to feed my sheep. Do you think Pete ever forgot that conversation? Boy, I tell you, looking at a text like this, we have so many different lessons to apply uh, to our lives. And I think the first lesson for us today is how do we not go where Peter went? In other words, let's learn from Peter's mistakes this, this morning and apply them to our lives tonight. Right? This narrative is utterly embarrassing. It is shameful to Peter. But it does provide hope at the, at the same time. And I want to touch on two things. Number one, we have to recognize and admit and confess as sin. That if Peter, of all people, if, if Peter can deny Jesus, then so can we. All we need is the right set of circumstances. Let's admit that we have the capability to do that too. Number two, let's realize that Peter set himself up for failure. How did he do that? Well, he talked too much. He listened very little. He refused to pray. He acted too fast. And he followed Jesus from too far away. You know, if you want to learn about the wisdom of God and the power of your mouth, turn to the book of Proverbs. Let me just show you one. Proverbs 11.2. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. In this proverb, it looks like the Lord gives us two coins. On one coin, we got one side that has arrogance and disgrace. On the other side, on the other coin, we have humility with wisdom. Key point number five for us, life is full of humility and humiliation. Life is full of humility and humiliation. Unfortunately, Peter did not choose humility, so God humiliated him because of that. And today we all have a choice as well. God has begun testing his true church in this area of humility like never before. And it's not just us. This whole thing is on a worldwide scale. I've been saying that we're living in a very new world for the past year. And with each passing day, I'm more and more convinced of that. There is now an urgency to our lives. And if you know your Bible and you check the news, notice I said check the news. I didn't say watch the news for hours upon hours upon hours. If you know your Bible and you check the news, key point number six, you know that the world is, is not falling apart. It's prophetically falling into place. The world is not falling, in, uh, falling apart, guys. It's prophetically falling into place. We live in a very special time. This is a time of hope. This is a time of joy. This is not a time of fear 
for the church. This is not. A few weeks ago, I was making coffee at home, and as I was doing that, this phrase crossed my mind. Clarion call. Clarion call. Now, I, I've, I've heard that term before, but I've never used it. So I did my homework. We get the principle, right, in the Old Testament? The, the, the principle of a clarion call, a blast of trumpets, and it signals a few things. Let me show this to you. A clarion call is to bring people together for a specific purpose. A clarion call, uh, a different call from the trumpet is to warn people of danger. In other words, we are to prepare. And thirdly, another trumpet sound is to announce the arrival of a king. And, and I, as I look at that, it just seems that God is doing all three at the same time today. God is bringing his true church together. He is warning them of the, the dangers of mankind and at the same time, announcing his arrival. So, dear friends, this call is, is veiled, right? Do you see it? This kind of call is veiled with all the worldly events going on around us. And it is a summons for the church. So, please don't ignore it. Our country, the world, will never return from this. But Jesus will return. We're never going to get back to the, quote unquote, the good old days. It's not going to happen. Jesus will return. And if we're lucky, maybe in our lifetime. Now, dear friends, I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. And a pastor does three main things. Number one, he teaches the word of God. Number two, he preaches the gospel. And number three, he protects his sheep. So let me put my sheepdog hat on for a moment. You will be tested and tried just like Peter. The wrath of man is upon us. The wrath of God will come soon, but we're not going to be here for that. Today, we are living in a world where most governments around the world are passing legislation on mandatory health care. And we all want great health care, but we all know that the issue is not health care. It's the mandate. It doesn't matter what side of the fence that you're on with this vaccine thing. That is not the issue. The question in front of many of us today and for tomorrow and the near future is this. How will you respond if you don't choose to comply with the mandate? Are you going to live out your biblical convictions? Or are you going to let your fleshly emotions overtake you? How are you going to respond if you're not allowed in the grocery store? Or you're unable to renew your driver's license? Or maybe they cut off your social security. Or, or you're unable to vote. Or, or you're terminated from your job. Guys, I, I want you to prepare for these things today so you're not surprised tomorrow. See, these worldly questions, they are precursors to questions about your faith. For example, did you know that there are states that are 
writing legislation right now mandating churches to card every person to make sure they have the passport before you walk in. If you don't have the passport, they say you can't go to church and worship. You know what we say that, you know what we call that in Greek? Bologna, i.e. <laughs> that is baloney. Baloney. By the way, we're not going to do that here at River Bible Church. How do we prepare for these things, all these worldly things, and not deny our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let me give you five things. Number one, continue to tithe your time. To read the Word of God by the Spirit of God. To make sure that you are getting up in the morning and you are thanking God, not for your day, but for every breath. Number two, that you would pray for your friends and your family who who don't know the Lord. Number three, and this is a big one, that you would engage and invest in your church family like never before. Guys, the, the church is the only thing that's eternal. Everything else is going away. Look around. Your church family is the only thing that matters. Hebrews 10.24 says says it this way. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as, as some are in the habit of doing. But we come here to encourage one another, don't we? And look at this. Make, make a note of this. Hebrews 10.25. Encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is the writer of Hebrews talking about? He's talking about the Lord's return. He's talking about the rapture. So just as God gave Noah the boat, God has given the church the rapture. So dear friends, number four, pray for the rapture. The second to last verse in all of Scripture says, Amen. Come Lord Jesus. There's no fear in that. I know when you start talking about eschatology, some of you, there's no fear in that. Why is there no fear? Because of those crosses behind me. Dear friends, you've got nothing to be afraid of. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everything to be afraid of. If you're, if you're not a child of God, This life is as good as it gets for you. It only gets worse from here. Number five, you got to practice your three circles. Why? Because of what Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And it's, it's so amazing to see how Peter fed the sheep. Look at this. 1 Peter 3.15. Give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What's the hope that's in you? Dear friends, are, are you concerned more about the social sickness of the world more than changing the hearts of people in the Verde Valley? 
Do you talk more about politics than the hope that is in you? Make no doubt about it, God is using all of these social ills to draw the true church back to himself. So I'm going to plead with you, please don't get caught off guard like Peter. You must know that there are consequences if you're a Christian and you deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 32. He says, anyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. See, it's only by God's grace that Jesus brought him back. Yes, Peter denied Jesus. But here's the good news. Peter eventually learned how to deny himself and to pick up his own cross. You too will have choices and chances to either affirm or deny Christ in the very near future all the way up until the rapture happens. And my prayer, guys, is that we can live this out, that we can live out Romans 1.16, that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the hope and it is the power of our salvation. Father in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us to read your word. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Thank you for allowing us to... to learn and hear the lessons from Peter so that we don't have to make those mistakes either. Father, give us the strength when we're cornered and when we're scared and we don't know what to do. Father, continue drawing the true church back to yourself. May we ponder uh, what you've said to us this morning, throughout this week. And may we indeed share the hope that lies within us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.